Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. Today, our infant medical director, Dr. Scott Guthrie, is joined by NICU parent Karen Broadway. Karen gave birth to her son in 2017 and was very quickly swept into the world of the NICU. This episode, they discuss a multitude of topics, including a parent perspective of NICU care, postpartum depression, and what it's like parenting a NICU graduate. This special episode will have something for both provider and patient. Our goal for this story is to help improve care across the state of Tennessee. Let's listen in. I'd like to welcome everyone today to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast for the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. And I have a very special guest with me today. This is one of our parents who's going to be talking to us about her experience in the neonatal intensive care unit. And she is a very special parent to me because I met her and her little sweet baby boy back in December of 2017. And it's one of those parents that I have kept in touch with and families I have kept in touch with since that time. They've become very special to me. So I want to introduce Karen Broadway, and we're going to be talking about her experience today in the neonatal intensive care unit along with her son, Judd how he did in the neonatal intensive care unit, what their experience was with their providers, and what has it been like taking care of him since leaving the NICU. And so the message today is really going to be for providers on how we can do a better job communicating with our families and for all the lay listeners out there too. There's going to be something in this for you just so you can see what a NICU experience is like. And for those of you that have a baby in the NICU who may be dealing with some baby blues. Karen will be talking to us about that as well. Karen, do you want to say hi to everybody? And then I'll tell your story just briefly, and then uh, we'll open it up to you so you can tell us what's been going on. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Broadway, and it is an honor to be with you today and to get to speak with Dr. Guthrie and hopefully provide some information that can be helpful and useful in the future. So very nice to meet you all. So Karen, as I mentioned earlier, I met you in December of 2017, and I think I came in maybe just shortly after around 24 hours of life of uh, of sweet little Judd. So I want to tell our audience a little bit about his story. If I remember right, you had been admitted to the hospital for observation, and then you had a placental abruption. Is that correct? That is correct. I've been in the hospital. I was admitted to the hospital one weekend. It was the weekend before I had the abruption. So I was in the hospital for the full weekend and was sent home to monitor my blood pressure. I was put on blood pressure medication. And so I was monitoring my blood pressure at home. And I actually had a follow-up scheduled with the high-risk doctor on Monday. And Judd was born that Sunday. So tell me what you remember about the day that you had him. Okay. So 
The day that I had Judd, it was a Sunday. I remember the Saturday night before, Robbie, my husband, he works, uh, he's a pilot for a barge company. And so he is away for three weeks at a time. And he was not with us. He had been working and I had taken my daughter, Belle, to downtown for some Christmas festivities, some fun things. And I was feeling fine, didn't really notice anything. The only thing that had me a little concerned is that on Saturday night, I didn't feel him moving as much. And it scared me, of course, because as an older pregnant mom was a little concerned if anything seemed a little bit off. And But other than that, I felt fine. On Sunday morning, I woke up. We were getting ready for church, went to take a shower. And I had noticed that I was having some Braxton Hicks contractions, but I just tried to ignore that, I think, just because they were so mild and just it didn't seem to bother. I wasn't in pain or anything, but in the shower, I became very lightheaded and nauseous just out of nowhere. It was just very odd. And so I called my mother and we headed towards my doctor in Savannah and then were advised by him to go to Jackson. We got to Jackson and my my fear was very high. I was the level I was very anxious and nervous because the contractions became more and more. I would say they became more intense, but not to the not not pain, but it's just that they were more frequent. And to be honest with you, I really didn't know if it was active labor or if it was just Braxton Hicks. But what scared me the most was I didn't feel him moving that much, if at all, on Sunday. And so I was really nervous and anxious to get to the hospital, mainly for them to get a monitor on me. That's what was in my head. I just wanted to make sure that he was okay. And so we rushed to the hospital and they immediately took me into, I I think it was labor and delivery ER. They put the monitor on me. And as soon as I heard his heartbeat, I'll tell you this, because it's now looking back, I'm, I'm thinking how silly of me. But I was so excited. When I heard his heartbeat, I thought, okay, it's all okay. As soon as I heard the heartbeat on the monitor, every fear that I had just went out of the window. I didn't care if I had to be on bed rest. I just remember that was the primary positive moment for me. And after they held me there for a few minutes, they took me to the labor and delivery room. And the abruption actually, or the pain that I felt, I will say, I'm assuming that's at the point that the abruption happened or the full abruption. They were getting me all situated in the room. Basically, they were about to put in a catheter. They told me that I would be on bed rest. In the ER, they had given me a steroid shot for Judd's lungs. But in the labor and delivery room, the hospitalist came in and he was actually doing an ultrasound at the same time some of the other nurses were placing the monitor on me and just getting everything else prepared. As soon as the doctor placed the wand, the ultrasound wand on my belly, immediately, and I just remember feeling a very sharp and intense pain. And I immediately said something. And at first, the nurses were like, well, maybe it's the monitor. They were checking to see if they'd done something with the monitor. And I believe pretty much simultaneously, the doctor had noticed Judd's heart rate declining and apparently rapidly. So he threw the wand and said, let's go. And at that moment, I knew there something's wrong. They're going to take him. No, let me interject a question right <laughs> here. because I think one of the things our audience needs to know is, is how many weeks pregnant you were. 
I was 27 weeks pregnant and five days. Yeah, so this is a, a very premature baby at this point. Yes, yes. It never entered my mind that the day that we went to the hospital, even if something was wrong, unless something was wrong. I think in my mind, the day that we went to the hospital, I tried to focus on the fact that he was going to be okay, first of all. And second of all, that, okay, you might have to be on bed rest. This may be it for you for the rest of the pregnancy, but we can do that in my mind because I was on bed rest with my daughter for two weeks, but just for two weeks before she was born. Everything else was perfectly normal pregnancy other than the, the high blood pressure. But yeah, I had no idea. I noticed you used another phrase there. You used the, the phrase that he was taken from me. Yeah. It, explain that. When we had Bill, I... Although I was on bed rest for two weeks prior to her delivery and they did induce labor, I was able to give birth to her naturally. And so I did not have a C-section. With Judd, it was an emergency C-section, very much unexpected, very much sudden. And I was put to sleep. And so I didn't feel, I didn't give birth to him. I, I, mm. I did, mm -hmm. but it's hard for me to say that because... He was actually taken from me while I was asleep, mm. he was taken. And so I feel like there are memories that you have associated with delivery. And with him, I went to sleep and I woke up and he wasn't with me. I think it's, I don't even notice that I say that, but that's what comes to mind is that he was taken. I want to explore that more when we talk about the baby blues here in just a little bit. Okay. Let me give our audience just a little bit of, of Judd's story. So there's something called an APGAR score. It's assigned to a baby when they're born. And an APGAR score just gives an idea of how the baby is doing right at birth and then how the baby is responding to resuscitation. And that's done on a 10-point scale. Typically, a baby who is born, they're going to score an 8, 9, maybe occasionally a 10. Judd, when he was born, his one-minute APGAR was a zero. And his five-minute APGAR was a zero. And his 10-minute APGAR was a zero. And so what that means for our audience that's not familiar with the APGAR score system is for the first 10 minutes of life, he had actually no signs of life. He didn't have a heartbeat. He wasn't breathing. He wasn't making any effort or signs of life at all. But our team that was there at the delivery was doing everything they could to try to bring him back to life. And so finally, at 15 minutes, there was a heartbeat. And so he got a score of one at 15 minutes. And then at 20 minutes, he was a five. And at 25 minutes, he was a six. So one of the things for our medical audience, the blood gas is important to give us an idea about what might be going on with the baby. And Judd had a good bit of acid built up in his body. His pH was a 6.87. And he had a base deficit of minus 24. And just so people can have an idea of how big he was, he was 900 grams, and that's somewhere around two pounds. One of our small babies, needless to say, he was very sick for those first several days of life. And that's where I want to talk to you next, just about those first couple of days. Memory serves me. I met you on a really bad day. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. It was day three, I think, because I was on magnesium. So I had to stay on magnesium for a long time. Let's talk about those first three days and what you remember. Tell me about your experience those first couple of days. I, I want to mention this because it, even to me, 
this is an unbelievable part of the story. I, again, gave birth naturally to my first child. And so I had never been under sedation at all. And I had never clearly had a C-section or an emergency C-section. And so that was something that was new for me. And I remember the very first memory I have after that C-section was waking up. The hospitalist was in the room and my very first words to him were, is he alive? And he said he is alive, but they had to work on him for a long time. And I'll never forget later on being so shocked that I woke up so aware and just just knowing what was going on and remembering and just being able to ask that question because I was so groggy and everything. The first day certainly was, it's almost a blur. There are so few things that I remember in that first 24 hours and which is scary to me, but it was traumatizing even in the first 24 hours. And I don't think at that point I, I was naive still. And so I remember thinking, okay, he's alive. They've got him. And I, I wasn't thinking about what could come or what his outcome could be. Part of that sincerely was just being naive. I had no experience. Any Anybody that had given birth to preemies or especially the details of their births or what could possibly happen afterwards and things like that. But the first 24 hours, definitely I was, the magnesium really took its toll. And I just remember when my husband arrived, which was probably six hours later, he came just rushing into the room. And as soon as I saw him, of course, I, I feel like I was more at ease than he was because I was just out of it. And I don't think it was all because of the drugs that I was being given. I think part of it was possibly, again, almost shock. I don't really know how to explain it, but Robbie and I have talked about it many times since then, how strange my actions were. I just wasn't myself. And I'm sure that part of it was just blocking out negative things as much as I could. And I guess you would say being naive. And then the next day, I get the second day, I just, I remember receiving reports about Judd. I remember all of that, even though there wasn't a whole lot that could be told. We knew that it was a very critical time. And so it was hard for me to receive any updates, me personally. I think I was so scared of losing him that I did not look forward to updates, as crazy as that sounds. I just, as long as I wasn't receiving an update in my mind, everything was okay. And so it was a very scary thing when it was time to hear something about my son. And then the third day is when I met you. So I was finally able, I don't even know, it may have been during the second day or at the end of the second day when they finally took me off of the magnesium, I was able to roll down and see Judd. So let's talk about that third day and just fair disclosure to to the audience. I was the physician that gave you the news from that day. And I, I want you to tell me how I could have done better, because I think the, one of the things for this podcast that I want everybody to get assistance with is we rarely have the opportunity to hear from our families when we're talking about difficult things and trying to communicate. And I want you to educate me on how I can do better at this. But let me tell the audience just what happened to Judd. As those of you who, who are medical background, that that's not a good start. But with the baby having to have a resuscitation like he did, with a blood gas like he did, and of course we were concerned 
about something called an intraventricular hemorrhage occurring. And for the lay people, that is a bleeding that can occur in a premature baby's brain. And so on day of life three, we got a head ultrasound that showed that he had bilateral grade four interventricular hemorrhages. And this is the, the worst form of an interventricular hemorrhage. I called the family together just to discuss this and go over things and discuss what this meant and what our options for care would be. Tell me what you remember about that, Karen. Uh, My husband and I brought my sister along because we didn't want to miss anything or forget anything mainly because of my mental status at that time. And I remember sitting down and not knowing what to expect. I was scared. I remember that. I think at that point, things had changed. And I was, as hard as this is to say, I think at that point, I already was not expecting a good outcome. I was hopeful, but I don't know if it had to do with depression or what, but I thought, I'm not going to get to leave here with my baby. And I really did feel that way already. And so that day was especially hard. And I think it was just because I was already thinking so negatively. When you presented the information, you presented everything that we needed to know and it, but it was hard to hear. I remember being upset with you when I left the room at first. I got over that in about a day, <laughs> but I remember being upset because I thought I already have the worst thoughts in my mind and I did not want to hear it that way. But there's no way to present that information other than to present it. And like I said, for about a day, I was upset because I thought I needed to hear positive, but There just wasn't much positive that you could present. And you presented it in a very, I felt, direct but compassionate way. You answered all of our questions very thoroughly. It was just really hard. It was hard to hear. And I want to help providers to know how to do this. It's a very difficult thing for me to even say, I would want you to change this or I would want you to change that. Because the truth is, I wanted to know the information. I wanted it. But I think when things are that bad and you're looking at a baby that has a bilateral four, uh, grade four bleed, and the circumstances were so bad right after he was born, it's hard for you to provide hope when more than likely it would have been false hope. I don't look back on that as a negative experience other than the fact that the information was negative. And we did call that the bad news butterfly room. (laughs) There were butterflies painted on the outside of the room. And so I remember when we were talking to you, I remember you discussing the bleed. I remember you discussing the outcome that we could be facing in the future. I remember talking about the fact that it was possible that he could be blind and he could be deaf and he might not ever speak. Basically, if he survived, he could end up a vegetable almost pretty much us taking care of him, just a very dire outcome. And I also remember a question that I think it broke all of our hearts. I remember my husband, when he was coming to the realization of exactly what we were facing, and he looked at you, and I don't know if you remember this, but he said... I remember. (laughs) Believe me, I remember. He said something to the effect of, so you're telling me 
I'm never going to take my son to football practice. And I'll never forget that. I, I remember totally losing it. <laughs> it. It was very, it was by far the most emotional day. I, I remember after that happened, I don't know, you may have come back into the room for a moment after you left. It seems like we left the room all together, though, because you were going to show us something else. It was some other scans. I think you were just showing us the progression, maybe, from the very first scan. And so I remember going out to look at those scans. But I do remember a negative experience that I had was I was uncontrollably crying. It was the kind of cry that it's hard to breathe, very messy. And we walked, we had to walk through the NICU through everyone else to go look at those scans. And I remember thinking, oh, I hate that these people are having to see me this way. And I remembered just feeling bad that it's so funny because I remember part of me was like embarrassed. But then another part, I was like, I don't want to upset anyone else because I'm crying over my situation. But I also remember that we got to a point where I did have to stop. I told my mother, mm-hmm. Or I told my husband, I said, I can't do any more right now. And the main reason is because I physically was getting to a point where someone was going to have to help me. I couldn't breathe. The crying was so much that it was affecting my breathing. I remember going to my room, which I still had a room in the hospital, and I just wanted to be alone for a long time. And I was. Everyone left me alone and I was able to catch my breath and digest some of the information and Thank goodness I had a husband that was strong and able to continue fighting that part of the battle while I was weak. So Judd spent 64 days in our NICU. Yeah. And, and I know you got mm-hmm. to meet a lot of various providers during that time. What could we do different to care for a family in a situation like this in the, in the future? I think one One of the things that is a very real pattern, this is something that I've learned from connecting with other moms, and it's something that I appreciate. I remember you and other nurses telling me about other moms that I could possibly talk to. And I thought, oh, that's nice. When you first told me, I thought, that's a nice idea. But I didn't realize how valuable those contacts were going to be. They've become not just the fact that they've become friends, but we're like partners. There have been conversations between myself and and some of the other moms that had previously been in the NICU that continue to this day that have helped our children because we all go through similar journeys in some ways. And then in some ways, they're completely different. But it's amazing to me how many times we have had to reach out to each other with a question just about a doctor or about, hey, I'm having an issue here with Judd's feeding. Who do you guys see? Or have you seen anyone? The relationship with these moms, I learned. This is what I learned. I remember the guilt that I felt. Every, it seems every single mother that I met experiences guilt. And I will say that there were at least a couple of people that told me that guilt was a normal thing to feel. I think as doctors and nurses in the NICU, I think it's very important to explain to the families some of the normal things that are experienced, one of which is guilt. That's a normal feeling to have. And it's okay to feel that way but it's not always your fault. This is not something 
always that you could control. And so even though a, a NICU nurse's job is not necessarily to counsel with moms, in some ways it would be nice if just little, small little conversations like that are worth a million dollars. So connect parents to other parents who have walked in those shoes and then making sure that we communicate effectively to parents that the emotions that they're having are normal and expected and it's all right to have those emotions and we're here to help you. I never personally talked to a therapist or anything, but I can tell you there were some very difficult days in the NICU. I personally had some very dark days. I am generally a very positive person. I was very surprised after having Judd and looking back at the NICU experience. It's funny to my husband and I to look and see how in the very beginning after having Judd, my husband seemed to take on the role that I was usually taking very strong with our son being in in that kind of shape. My husband was by his bedside at first. I couldn't be. And that was such a, a different role for me to be in. And I remember my family was very worried about me, but I, I felt like I was in a dark hole. I felt like I was in a panic. Anytime I was near Judd, I felt panicked. Everything, the noises that were going on, I didn't recognize myself. And now, of course, I can recognize that I was experiencing postpartum depression on top of all of the other traumatic things that anybody would be upset about. Did anybody from the NICU side or your obstetrical care provider, did anybody ask you questions to help identify if you were dealing with postpartum depression or did you share that with anybody? I did share it with my doctor from home, my OBGYN, and he prescribed some light medication just to help me. And thankfully, it did help me. After I got on that medication, I was the one that wanted to be with my husband. All the time, I wanted to be with my son. I'm very thankful that I reached out and and said something. But I do think it would be good to mention to the moms that maybe talk to someone if you feel like you're feeling this or this. Because I'll, I'll tell you, just after having one pregnancy that was totally different than the other, It's a whole different experience having a preemie and especially one that has to stay there for a long time. And there are lots of stressors. There are a lot of emotions that come along with that. I have laughed, but I felt so unlike myself that I worried about long-term relationships. A lot of the people in the NICU that I knew I wanted to continue because I felt like a totally different person. I felt like my emotions were just like the journey that I was on, like they were a roller coaster. And I felt like everyone probably thought I was crazy when in reality, I don't think that now. I'm, I'm sure that people understood, but you do feel that way. Your emotions are all over the place anyway. And so postpartum on top of that makes it worse. My cousin came to visit. She lives in Nashville. And I remember her asking me, Karen, And this is in the first few days. This is before I was on medication. But in the first few days, she came to talk to me and she said, Karen, are you afraid to bond with Judd? Do you feel like you have a fear of being with him because you're afraid to bond? You're afraid you're going to lose him? 
And, you know, that I remember her asking that question and I thought, you know, she's right. Those kind of feelings that I was having in my head. And so I think, I don't know if the postpartum was a part of that, but I do know that I wanted to see him, but I couldn't be with him all of the time because I was afraid he was going to die while I was there. And I didn't want to see it. And part of me wanted to be there and holding him, but then another part said, no, I can't watch that happen. But after I was on medication or after I started the medication, I felt normal again. Like I could be with him. I wanted to, regardless what happened, I wanted to be there with him. And so that was more like Karen. And yeah, I, I think the mental part of the journey is extremely important. It really is because we have to, we are going to leave the NICU, Lord willing, with our children and we need to be prepared and it helps to have connections. It helps to understand some of the emotions, the mental anxiety that you can go through. So we're trying to do a much better job of, of talking to mothers, identifying these problems and helping to, to get them support. One of the things that, that the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care is doing is working with postpartum support international. This is an organization that provides mental health support uh, for women uh, who have uh, recently given birth. And I want to give that number out now. So if any moms are, are listening to this, uh, any moms that have babies in the NICU or just had a baby period or dealing with uh, postpartum depression, this is a number you can call to discuss this with somebody uh, so you can get some help. And that number is 800 944-4773. That's 800-944-4773. And we'll be posting that number in the uh, podcast notes as well as a link to uh, the webpage. Karen, there's been some recent studies that have come out too that moms who have babies in the NICU that are as sick as, as what Judd was can sometimes deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, similar to what our soldiers who are coming back from war or somebody else who's been in a, a very difficult situation has dealt with. Did you ever feel like anything like that was going on? I did. I did. And it's very real. I remember I specifically looked up articles about PTSD wow. after we got home. And I have friends that could tell you that because I spoke with them about it. And I'll tell you one incident that occurred was surprising to me. It's funny that I told you we went out for some Christmas festivities, some fun for my child, my daughter, before Judd was born, the night before Judd was born. And so that night, it just feels so much a part of that whole journey. And so we had returned. Okay, this was 2018. I was by myself with my daughter and with Judd. And believe it or not, even there, I had this moment where I guess memories came back. I, I can't explain it. I just know that I felt desperate to just get out of that crowd. I wanted to get away from where we were. And I just remember having tears just streaming down my face. And I looked over at a friend and I saw that was just happened to be there. And I said, I'm, I've got to go. We're, you know, we've been here long enough. She understood. She knew. She said, this is too much, isn't it? This is like last year. This, you know, it reminds you of, but I also remember, I mean, there are certain sounds like the sounds of the monitor, <laughs> like <laughs> there are just certain things that just triggered. It, it's just crazy. It's crazy. The things that actually can trigger those emotions and it happened. What about Robbie? There's been some things in the literature as well that, that fathers can have uh, postpartum 
depression and have PTSD from their children being in the NICU. Has he dealt with any of this too? He has. We, again, Robbie and I, I'm so grateful for our relationship. Very, very close. And so I'm so thankful that we have been able to talk to each other. Robbie did have experiences with that as well. There were certain things that we at different times when talking about the future, it's funny to say this, but I remember how happy Judd was in his gate trainer for the first time. And I was going back through some old pictures and Robbie could not look. He just said, I don't really want to see those right now. And I was like, but these are when he was born. And he said, I know, but I don't like that right now. I just can't look right now. And it just made him so sad. And so, I don't know, it just worried me for a while. I thought, oh my goodness, is he going to be able to handle what's coming in the future? What may come? We don't know what all of the adversities that we're going to face or Judd's going to face and we're going to have help him with. But that's not it. It was just the, it was just, it's just traumatic. Things come back to you and you're just overwhelmed is the best way to put it. Let's talk a little bit about what's what happened since you left the NICU. As I, as I mentioned, you spent 64 days an hour in the neonatal intensive care unit. and mm-hmm. We got you home. How did that experience go? Going home and being home for your first night? and Going home was great. It was, I have to give kudos to everyone at, at the NICU that was a part of our exit, first of all, before we even got home. We really, that day or the days leading up are so positive for us. I remember we were so scared. We're very nervous. At that point, it's very scary to leave the security NICU family and we that we trusted so much to take care of Judd and to realize that, okay, we're the caretakers now. Have someone there right beside us. For instance, we did have to have an outlet. <laughs> Even though Judd did not require a monitor, We were so nervous that we had to have our own monitor. And so we laugh about that. But yeah, we were nervous. We were very nervous at first, but then we got into our routine at home. And I would say that there's a honeymoon phase and there's an ever-changing journey. (laughs) Like the phases, you go through each phase. The therapies, that was a new phase. So after uh, Judd's 64 days in the NICU, and he's currently almost four years old, Can you tell us a little bit about what his experience has been since then? Yeah. When we first got home, like I said, it was fantastic. Everything for a long time, I would say for the first, I think it was eight months or so, seven months, everything felt like almost 100% normal. And when I say normal, other than the fact that we watched him more closely Everything seemed comfortable. We had gone for a routine doctor's appointment. And when they they measured his head, that it had indeed grown more than they were comfortable with. And so we had to go to Vanderbilt and see, I believe it was the neurosurgeon. They did an MRI to check what was causing this. And Judd did have hydrocephalus. And so they were going to do, they had to do a procedure called an EV. That really didn't work. It just wasn't helping quickly enough. And so they did decide to go ahead and put in a shunt. And within the first year, Judd did have a couple of surgeries. We also, of course, started therapies with Judd at home at first. And then we also have some therapies that we take him to Jackson for, which is about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half from where we live. The first few years have honestly been filled with lots of appointments. MRIs, lots of therapy, which again, 
thank you. I have to say thank you to our NICU family for expressing to us how important therapy would be for Judd because it's amazing how therapy helped and continues to help our little boy. So we're so grateful for that, even though it's a very busy life. We're constantly on the road, it seems, to a doctor's appointment or to therapies and We have to juggle that with my daughter's school and sports and all of that. (laughs) Really, I mean, that sums it up. Lots going on since we brought him home from the hospital. I wanted to say this too. After he had his shunt surgery, he did have his first seizure, but it was several months after that. I would say in year, he was two. And I have to tell you, that was one of the, probably the darkest days regardless of all the other things that he had been through, just something new that we knew could happen, but we were hopeful that it would not. However, we got through that hurdle and he was placed on medication and he has had two breakthrough seizures, but that's all. So you mentioned several times about Belle, about Judge older sister. How has she done with this? I feel so sorry for her in the very beginning. I think she was very much affected I think she has continued to be affected, but I do believe that we have just simply adjusted. We just have tried to make sure that she has been taken care of emotionally. I remember in the very beginning, when we first came home from the hospital, I can tell you that this is one thing that she told us. Judd had to go for a doctor's appointment, and this was not long after we came home. And I remember her saying to me, Mama, he's not going to have to stay in the hospital, is he? And I said, no, we're just going for an appointment today. It's just, it's in Nashville. So you're going to stay with your grandmother and whatever. And I remember her saying, well, I'm glad mama, because I don't want us to not live together anymore. I want us all to live in the same house. And I just remember how sad it made us to realize how she was with my parents so much during the initial days of Judd's life that it felt like she had been taken away from her family. When Judd was born, because Robbie and I were trying to be with him so much and take care of him. And his life has continued to affect hers in many ways, because times that, especially with COVID, when we were trying to shield him and not just COVID, other times when he was younger and trying to keep him from getting sick and just keeping her from certain activities. I pray all the time that we make sure that she receives as much attention as he does. That's another concern that we have for her. So for the parents that are listening to this, whether it's somebody that's in the NICU now or somebody else who's in your situation, who has an older child, who's a graduate of the NICU, who may be dealing with some of the same things, what advice would you give them? I would tell them to let your child be as involved as possible. I realized pretty late that Belle just needed to understand some things a little more. And I think she would have felt better. And so we didn't realize that she she had some confusion about certain things. And you don't think about the what a child needs to understand, especially at her age. It's hard to communicate. But just trying to make sure that you give them time to ask questions and make sure that they understand what's going on and in the easiest way possible. But just keep them informed. And they love their siblings and As much as you want to try to shield them from certain things, it's really good for them to understand everything that's going on. So as we wrap up your story, Karen, I've got to tell the audience a little bit about how I have 
become so close to y'all over the past couple of years. And that's because I, I followed Judd very closely and have used his story several times in some of the international talks that I do. At the time he was born, we had just started the neuroprotection protocol. And so I've been very interested in how he's doing. And I've, when I've done talks on brain protection of the neonate or uh, on uh, neurodevelopmental outcomes of prematurity, he's one of those stories I like to tell because we have these brain images of him from his time with us. And then I get to end the talk by showing some of these amazing videos of him developing at certain points that I've reached out to you and asked you to share things. And just a couple of weeks ago, you sent me the absolute best video. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that and where Judd is at today? Yes. The video that I sent was a video of a remote. It's it's actually a remote control car. It's a 12 volt, I guess you would call it a, not a Jeep, but kind of like a Jeep. Our son is able to sit in and steer on his own and do a normal little boy things. So we were overjoyed when we learned that Judd was strong enough now to sit up and balance himself enough to ride in one of these little electric 12-volt cars. And so I sent the video and my husband is leaning down, talking to Judd and asking him if he is going to pick up his girlfriend for a hot date. <laughs> and Judd takes off, you know, and it's just so exciting that I, I couldn't wait to show it. Wait. Yeah, well, you miss a fun part. He said, uh-huh, I'm, I'm going on a hot date. Yeah, so. <laughs> he said, yeah. His dad says, okay, we'll be home by 10. And he says, okay. And he turns on the radio. There's a button to turn the radio on. And he flips on the radio and then drives off to go pick up his hot date. Yeah, so that's awesome. It, it, just to let you know and our audience know, too, there was a, another paper that came out probably about six months ago looking at long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes in kids like Judd who have had severe brain injury. And what was amazing about this study, and this was done at kids, if I remember correctly, at 12 years of life, that these moderate to severe injuries get so much better over time to where some of these kids who have had moderate to severe injuries turn out completely what we would consider normal or their severe injuries improve significantly. And so it certainly sounds like Judd is on the road to that happening as he continues to get older. And as you mentioned, the, the things that y'all are doing as a family and the therapies that you've got him involved in are all giving him the best outcome possible. Let me mention this real quick, but I want it to be known that Judd is now talking he can't walk, but he, not yet, <laughs> but we're working on it, but he is full-time in physical therapy. He actually, as far as his talking, like his speech, he can say full sentences. He is asking us questions. This is not just repeating things we're saying. He's actually communicating with us and he knows his colors and he can count to 14. So I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. So, Karen, as we wrap this up, I want you to imagine that you've got a giant billboard somewhere and you can put anything on it so millions or billions of people can read it. And we've covered a lot of topics today, but if you could, if you had this giant billboard that you could put what you think is the most important thing that you wanted people to know, what would it say? If it was relating to this journey, then there's no doubt in my mind that it would be a scene the picture would be a scene from Facing the Giants, a movie, but it's a scene where 
the coach has one of his players doing the death crawl and there's no doubt that it would have that scene. It would have a picture from that scene and it would say, I know it hurts, but don't quit. You just don't quit. It's hard, but, but don't quit. It's so worth it. No doubt that it would be that scene because I would want people to watch that scene. I still watch that scene from time to time. Yeah, it's a great movie and great scene. I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that. And I think that is true for all of life. Don't quit. And without the Lord, because we are Christians and we're so thankful for that, I don't know how we would have made it without his help. So, but yeah, definitely that scene. Karen, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out to uh, talk to us today. I hope our audience enjoyed this as well. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.